Well, good morning. Um, if I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Jamie. I'm a part of the staff team uh, here at South Point. It's so glad to see you here uh, in person and also those who are joining us online. Um, we have a couple of more weeks left in this series uh, that we've called Into the Unknown, where we've been looking at this man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and how God has chosen them uh, to be part of his plan to ultimately restore what sin has broken. Um, it's going to be through the lineage of these two people that God in the person of Jesus will come and pay the price on the cross for our sin. And God chooses to start with this couple. He chooses to start with this man, Abraham, who wasn't even following him. He wasn't worshiping him. He was worshiping other gods. And, and he and his wife, Sarah, are older. They're advanced in years, and yet they still have not been able to have kids on their own. In fact, they're past the age of being able to have kids. And, and what we've seen in their story so far is some remarkable faith and then some awful choices. And, and reading their story has allowed us to see how they navigate through the unknown. God comes to Abraham with these incredible promises that he's going to make great nations come out of him, that he's going to become famous like generations will know who he is and all of the world ultimately is going to be blessed through them. But he doesn't share any details. Promises without details. Living in the unknown without specifics. And many times, what we see Abraham and Sarah do is what we often do when we find ourselves in the unknown. They do things on their own. Which again is what we will see happen with Abraham and Sarah this morning. So I'm going to read all of our scripture today in one chunk. And I hope that you pay attention to this because this is some foundational stuff. And like we always say when Dustin and I are teaching, what is written in God's word is so much more important than anything that we have to say about it. So I just encourage you to follow along. The word's going to be on the screen or if you have a Bible, we're going to be Genesis chapter 20 um, this morning. It says this, from there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man. How would you like to get that dream? Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. That, in other words, that just means that they hadn't had any kind of like physical intimacy. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent, an innocent people? Did not he himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself say he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocent of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
Therefore, or, now then, return to the man's return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose. Early in the morning, that's just to say that probably immediately after he had this dream, he was, he was on <laughs> and called all of his servants and told them these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought to me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought, There is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So I know that's a little weird, like, they are legitimately brother and sister, just different mothers. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. They say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed all of the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It's not really clear why Abraham and Sarah go to this unknown place, and they decide as they're going to this unknown place, that they're going to tell everybody that they're just brother and sister, not really disclose the whole husband and wife thing. And if you are familiar at all with the story of Abraham, this is not the first time they've done this. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, right after, a short time after, God shows Abraham this land that he's promised. There's a famine that happens in the land, and they migrate down to Egypt, and, and they have this same mindset as they're going to Egypt, that Abraham is afraid that Pharaoh, who's the ruler of Egypt, will kill Abraham because his wife is so beautiful. And so they concoct this same story that, that we're brother and sister. And so Pharaoh, acting on this, takes Sarah into his house and all kinds of bad things happen. Somehow he finds out, maybe by a dream, it doesn't really say, that Sarah and Abraham are actually husband and wife, returns her, and tells them just to leave Egypt. In fact, when you read this passage, you find out that this has been their way of doing things from the very beginning. So, assuming that Sarah is not married, this king Abimelech comes to make Sarah another one of his wives, and God intervenes in two ways. First, he prevents Abimelech from being able to do anything with her physically, 
And then he warns Abimelech of the fact that, hey, this isn't right. This is Abraham's wife. And immediately, Abimelech obeys God and confronts Abraham. And in response, Abraham just comes up with this whole litany of excuses of why he did what he did. And then Abimelech, in hopes that he can restore this relationship and maybe even earn favor back with God, he gifts Abraham and Sarah all of these things. And then God heals Abimelech in his household. So the question when you read this is, why did Abraham and Sarah do this? Like, what is at the core of why they acted this way? And I think you can summarize it in a single word, fear. Abraham, in particular, fears that when he goes into these unknown places, that because either Sarah is so beautiful or because he has so much stuff, he's a very wealthy man at this point, that somebody's going to see her and want to have her, and then they're going to do harm to him or kill him. He wants to protect himself. And so they've come up with this deception, and out of fear, they try, they try to control What's going to happen to them? When we encounter the unknown, it can be scary. Most of us don't like living in the unknown. We want to know the who, what, when, where, how, and why. We seek what's comfortable. We, we seek what's familiar. We seek what's normal. We seek what's routine. But, but if you really think about it, most of our life is lived in the unknown. There, there is so much more uncertainty than we're often willing to recognize. In our jobs, in our health, or the health of those we love, um, in our desire to be safe or to protect those that we love, even in our relationships. And generally, the only time we recognize the unknown, or how much unknown, is when something unexpected happens to us. We get downsized. We get diagnosed, and the prognosis isn't good. We, we hear about a close friend whose son was killed in a drunk driving accident. It reminds us that our teens are not immortal. We, we find out that this couple, who seems to have it all together, at least from their social media posts, is now separated. And news like this strikes us to our core because it opens our eyes to the reality that we live in the unknown. And when we encounter the reality that we live in the unknown, our tendency is to put our trust in ourselves. Because what we tend to do is we tend to operate out of the place of either pride or fear. Here, Abraham and Sarah are an example of what happens when we live out of fear and put our trust in ourselves. What do they do? They try to control the situation. They think if they can make others think that they aren't married, then no harm will come to them. And we, too, deceive ourselves into believing that we are in control, that we can make things happen the way we think it should happen or the way we want it to happen, or we can fix it. And as a result, we get focused and fixated on the outcome we believe will fix it. A more fulfilling job, 
restored health, a safe environment where no, nothing bad will happen to those we love, a perfect relationship. And when those outcomes don't happen, or at least turn out the way we'd hoped, the problem, or the problem isn't fixed, we get angry or we get shattered, we lose hope, we become discouraged. And what does this lead to? More fear, more control, and the cycle continues. And sometimes in our effort to control the outcome, we become blind to the consequences of others. I mean, obviously, Abraham and Sarah did, either didn't think about the consequence to Abimelech, or their fear outweighed any concern about what consequence he may suffer. And my guess, if I were to betting man, I would say that they were more, it was more the second than the first. Because they've already experienced this before. They've seen the outcome. You know, if you just think about it, what's, what's their end game here? I mean, at some point, either Abimelech and Sarah are just going to be this permanent thing, or Abraham's going to have to step in and intervene, right? And it's going to even make matters worse. <laughs> and as a consequence, Abimelech suffers and his household suffers. And sometimes in our efforts to control circumstances, we can hurt others. Or, or at the very least, we don't we concern ourselves with the impact that our choices have on others. And we, we withdraw or we make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. Let, let's be honest. We're, we're usually at our worst when we're operating out of fear or pride. We distort so many things. We distort how we see ourselves. We distort how we see others. And as a result, it impacts and influences the decisions and the choices that we make. And when it doesn't work, or we get called out, or it can even cause us to do what Abraham does here, we can start to blame others. We can even start to blame God. I want to reread that passage in Genesis that we read. I think it's so interesting. Verses 10 through 13, and Abimelech said to Abraham, this is such a great question. What did you see that you did this thing? In other words, where, was your, where were you focused? <laughs> what were you thinking? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to, the, to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. First thing he does is he, he, blames, he, he blames this group of strangers that he doesn't even know. <laughs> like, these people don't fear God. As if that would somehow limit God and his ability to work. And then he turns the blame to God himself. Did you pick up on what he said? Like, God caused me to wander. Like, this word wander is an interesting word because it's not a, it's not a positive wander. It's actually this idea of just kind of wandering aimlessly. In fact, when you see it used again and again in the Old Testament, it's always got something negative attached to it. It's like this aimless, pointless wandering. And, and so he turns his blame 
to God. And he's like, what else was I supposed to do? God made me do this. When we encounter the unknown out of fear, we too play the blame game. It's always somebody else's fault that this is happening or turning out the way it is. And, and we can even put the blame on God. He's making this happen or he is allowing this to happen. But there's a better way for us to live in the unknown. And that's trusting God. Here's why we can trust God. Mainly because of who he is. You know, we believe that God is sovereign. This basically means that God is all-powerful, that he is not controlled by anyone else, that he is in control, he controls all things, and nothing controls him. He knows all, and he controls all. We also know about God's nature. Not what God does, but just who he is, like his nature, that God is good. Not that God does good things, he does good things, but God himself is good. That God himself is love. Not that he loves, he does love, but he himself is love. God is truth. In a world that just has nothing to really anchor itself to, and everybody's opinion is right, and we're looking to anchor ourselves to something. God himself is truth. God is faithful. He keeps his word. When he says something, he does it. This is who he is. And if that's not enough, when you look at what God has done, like God loved us first. We didn't do anything to deserve being loved by him. But he first loved us, and he demonstrates this love for us in the fact that he is the one who initiates. He initiates with Abraham and Sarah. He initiates by sending himself in the person of Jesus to die for us. Like, he loves us. That he's provided this amazing way for us to be reconciled back with him through what Jesus did on the cross, and he is always with us, that he gives us the person of his Holy Spirit when we say yes to following him. Like, all of these things are incredible. This is why we can trust him. I love the verse that David read for us this morning, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it says this, Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everything that you are, trust him. And do not lean on your own understanding. Don't Listen to yourself. (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge him. In everything you do, every thought you have, acknowledge him. Every action that you're going to take, acknowledge him. It doesn't mean just say, oh God, you're there, I'm just going to go mess things up. It's like, because of who God is and because of this trust and this relationship, I'm going, to, I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to think of you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to follow you. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So this is how we can trust God. And this is so key. If you don't hear anything else this morning other than the scripture that's been read, I hope you get this. It, it's not just about, it's just not knowing about God. It's not just having more information 
about who God is. It's really knowing him, like knowing God. It's, it's how we build trust in any relationship. I mean, just think about any relationship that you have that's a horizontal relationship with another person. Like, what is the basis of your trust? It's because you know that person, right? It's no different with our relationship with God. It's about knowing him, spending time with him. And I know personally I get this wrong a lot. I fall into this trap of thinking that like praying and reading the Bible and a lot of the things that we call like spiritual disciplines or soul training acts, whatever label you want to put on it, like fasting or giving and such are, are, are a way that we do things in order to somehow please God. Almost like a duty or a daily box to check and we don't, we feel guilty because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. But I think that's the wrong way to look at these things. Why do we do these things like pray and read? It's to deepen our relationship with God, to know him more. I think this is the primary way that God reveals himself to us is through his word and through listening and praying to him, to spending time with him. If we think about it, the God who created everything, the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, this God who is good and who loves and who's faithful and who's truth, like, he wants us to get to know him. That, that's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. And, and the more we know him, the more we trust him, and the more we love him. I love what it says in 1 John 4.18, it says this, there is no fear in love. Perfect, but perfect love casts out fear. What this means is that when we know God and who he is and we put our faith and our trust in him and we are leaning on him and we realize how much he loves us and his love is what defines us, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. Like that just throws fear out the window. We no longer have to operate in fear. And I could think of no better way to illustrate this this morning than for somebody to share their story of how they've trusted God. I love Deanna Rabello, and I love her story of how she's trusted God. So we've shot this video of her, and I'd like you to take a look at it this morning.
when we know God, we know that he is good, that he is love, and that he is faithful. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like wrestling with this, like I just don't know how to get out of this place of fear. I don't know how to get out of this place of pride. Or I've, I've messed up so many different times in this and my head's all over the place. Let me just share this that I hope will encourage you that God's, God's faithfulness isn't limited by our fear. God's faithfulness isn't limited by our fear. Because what's really cool is what we're going to talk about next week is that God has made all of these promises to Abraham and just because Abraham and Sarah operate out of fear here doesn't mean that God suddenly withdraws his promise to them. He's going to fulfill that. Because his faithfulness isn't defined or doesn't limited by our fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is in control, that you are a God who is bigger than anything else, that you, um, you love us, you are love, that you are good, that we can fully trust you, that we can put everything that we have and everything that we are into your hands, God, that we can surrender control completely to you, that we don't have to manage stuff, that we don't have to keep holding on to those things that we think that we can control, but Father, that you are the one who knows it all. Father, I pray that you would just continue to work and move in us individually and us as a, as a body of believers, Father, that we would continue to lean into you and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.